0: You don't have to turn there, but I'll go ahead and refresh you on this. We're in the middle of a a series called The Gifts in the Body. We're trying to understand more about exactly what is the body of Christ, but more specifically, what are the gifts that Jesus Christ has died in order to give to the body of Christ for its betterment? The body of Christ is supernatural. The greatest problems that we have in the church are usually because we've used fleshly means To accomplish divine objectives. That never works. The flesh profits nothing. It will lead to nothing. It'll be nothing but frustrating and people burn out very quickly. God has supernaturally endowed every single person in the body of Christ with a particular gift. And before we get to looking at that in the coming weeks, what we have been looking at right now are certain offices that He has blessed the church with that are word centered. In other words, Everything that is going to be about this office being effectively accomplished is going to be the fact that God's word is going to be in the center of it. Now, we're familiar with this. We've looked at it over and over. You can even just pick up your bulletin and see it down at the bottom. But Ephesians 4.11, we see that he gave some to be apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. And teachers are what we're going to focus on today. Now, many people, if you were to pick up a commentary, you go down to our library and probably pick up a commentary, and you were to research something regarding these offices, you would find that more times than not, the idea of pastor and teacher have been plugged together. Now, I think it's important for us to understand, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians 12, let's say, and you were to see a gift of teaching that was taking place there, some people have a gift of teaching. There is a gift of teaching as a spiritual gift. But there is also an office of teachers of which is used surrounding by the word for the betterment of the body. So everyone who would be a teacher would probably have the gift of teaching or at least one of the five speaking gifts in some way in order to exhort the body towards faithfulness and better retention of God's word to make the difference in your life. Is everybody with me? A problem we have is that when you look at the Greek construction of this passage, you actually find that because pastors and teachers are in the plural, the construction of the Greek does not hold there, and so therefore they are not one office, pastor slash teacher. They are actually two separate things. Now what you will find is, is that if a pastor has the spiritual gift of teaching, of which I do, then you will have a pastor who has a teaching style. But that doesn't mean that all pastors... Well, let me take that back. All pastors will have some teaching, but not all teachers are pastors. Does that make sense? Okay, so we see how there'd be a separation from that. So when we deal with this idea, Christ is doing something now that He's ascended. And He wants His body to represent Him faithfully. In order to do that, He's got to give instructions, and that comes about through the Word. Teachers are one of the most effective means, raise your hand if you've ever led a small group okay, you've stepped into the realm of teacher, this applies to you, raise your hand if you've ever communicated to your child something about God so that they're thinking about them more succinctly or more clearly you are in the role of a teacher this is taking place here so what does it look like in the midst of the body of Christ for a teacher to have duties and be dispensing duties and what all is entailed surrounding that. the first thing we need to look at is the definition of a teacher if you have those charts we passed out a few weeks ago great if you'd like one we actually have them back there on the cart raise your hand and Delano looks like a willing servant this morning he'll get it to you Delano are you willing there we go I love it so you can't say no because it's public that's great <laughs> the definition of a teacher man we got a lot of them just give a minute there we go Come on, Delano. (laughs) If you ever want a fun time. Real quick, I walked back there after we started singing. Everything sounded beautiful. Emily and June are doing a great job leading everybody. And I went up to Delano and I said, you sound terrible. And then I walked away. (laughs) He rejoiced. Make a joyful noise, right? Just messing. It was beautiful. The definition of teacher, didaskalos, and you'll find that whenever we look at the instance of the teacher, you'll find the verb derivative of this noun, okay? So didaskalos, and the idea is one who's going to provide instruction. They're either labeled as a teacher or someone who is an instructor. Now what's interesting is if you look at just the four Gospels, you have a mention of this word over and over and over and over, 48 times, and it's predominantly used of referring to Jesus, The amazing thing that we've seen about these five offices that have been given to the church is that Jesus in some way has been a representative of every one of them. In Hebrews 1, Jesus is called an apostle. We know from John 4, the woman at the well, she said, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. And Jesus said, Yeah, right? We know also that he was spreading the gospel as an evangelist. We know that he also had compassion in Matthew 9 upon people who were acting as sheep who did not have a shepherd. And so he got in there and began ministering and sending out his disciples to do that in the pastor position. But he was also a great teacher. And any time that you see him being referred to as rabbi, that is a construction that is referencing him as a teacher of Israel. So all of the five offices, Jesus' offices representing that were all word-centered, the five offices within the body of Christ are an extension of a ministry that Jesus has already set up the template for. You go back and you look at him to see what the pinnacle looks like of how to execute those offices. So they often refer to Jesus. Now I want to refer us back to a slide that we saw a while back when we looked at the idea of prophet, And that's the difference between what a prophet would be doing and the responsibilities that would fall in more of a pastor-teacher type of category. If you remember, the prophet is the one who is predictive. They are foretelling God's word, so they're receiving the revelation of the truth. Why is that? The New Testament's not written down yet. And so they need to have this material, especially with the death of Christ. It's one thing to talk to somebody about the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, and has ascended to the right hand of the Father. The rest of the New Testament, from Romans all the way to Jude, unfolds the bits and pieces of all the ramifications that came out of that act of obedience on Jesus' part. We see the physical, and we talk about the physical death that took place, but all the spiritual ramifications that come out, justification by faith, your new identity in Christ, all the spiritual blessings that you hold, the great positions that you have, all the riches and inheritance that he wants to lavish on you because of what Jesus has done. All these things are unfolded throughout that type of situation. So prophets are receiving that information and giving that out and the writing of the New Testament happens during that time. Sometimes it deals with future events, It talks about what God's will is, possible judgment, and often calling people to repentance. And we don't see that there's much difference from that in Old Testament and New Testament, what a prophet would do in receiving that revelation. But when you get into the idea of a pastor and a teacher, you find that it's a forth telling. In other words, what has already been revealed is being expounded upon for a greater understanding of the people. Why? Because when you're dealing in truth, truth matters. How many people like being lied to? Raise your hand. You you like being lied to? Oh, okay, you like being lied to? I do it to you every Sunday, brother. It's usually Jay. So good to see you. <laughs> Just kidding. He's a good. What, what's sad is, is that they walked in together today, and I and I promise you, in the back of my ears, I heard. I don't know why. But it kind of was the good, bad, and the ugly coming in. I don't know. You discern who is who. Moving on. Pastors and teachers have a prescriptive role. In other words, the idea is, is for all the sin and the situations that ail us in life, Scripture speaks to that. And Scripture has a greater way, a higher way. One of the greatest problems that messes us up in the Christian life is we're so quick to look for something to do. We treat Jesus like Burger King. And we want to order it here and we want to get it here. And we're often calling Jesus to task to help us. Who in the world put us in the driver's seat of that thing? Nobody. It's the job of the pastor and the teacher to draw the mind back and to get the mind and heart set upon the truth that already is so that the situation before you can be handled from that foundation Not so that God will swoop in and all of a sudden do something miraculous because we've been living unfaithfully to him for 15 years. That's not how he works. Not at all. So the job of a pastor and teacher is to prescribe those things. It can be evangelistic. We don't want to neglect sharing the gospel at all. But also it's an exposition of God's already revealed word and the idea is so that the church would grow. That's the end result and we'll see that in two weeks. So is everybody clear on those differences? Let's see some instances of it. In fact, I want you to turn here. Matthew 28. You can't hit this enough. And the reason why is because we don't do it enough. And we don't believe it enough. But I want to show you something. Jesus has died. He has resurrected. He has gathered His followers on the side of a mountain in Galilee And He is giving them the Great Commission. Oh, I know the Great Commission. Do we know it? Or do we know it? Because here's what happens. Jesus understands now that He's died for sin and it is finished, now that the law has been perfectly fulfilled in His person and He is a spotless Lamb completely righteous to provide salvation for the world, He understands that the Father is getting ready to shift history. And a brand new dispensation is starting to come in. A new stewardship of time known as the church. And that's what we're in right now is the dispensation of the church. And so he wants to give marching orders for them. And here's what he says, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Great. So what? Go. Therefore, now watch. And the Greek construction here means as you're going throughout life, this is what is to characterize our existence and interactions. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. No one is off the board. Everybody's fair game. All people matter to the Lord. It says here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's part of what it is to make disciples. But then watch this. Teaching them. Everybody see teaching? didasco Notice it's a derivative of didaskalos, And the idea here is to hold a discourse and to have proper instruction so that someone is able to understand and receive it. Well, teaching them, what does it say? To observe all that I commanded you. Does Jesus' ministry in the Gospels matter for today? Absolutely. In fact, what we find is, in Jesus' instructions, there's the source material for the birth of the church. Here's how you get started in understanding it. What did Jesus teach the apostles? Guess what? Turn around and teach that to one another. Now what's amazing is, this seems to be the exact same event that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, that he appeared to over 500 people at one time in his resurrected form. So you have a large stock of witnesses there. If that is the case, then notice that it's not just a select few. Only they can be teachers. Only that can happen. If God's called you to be a teacher in the church, teach and be faithful. And here's the prescription to how to get it done. Everybody see it? Teaching everything, to observe everything that he has commanded. Now, I want to show you this real quick. We don't have to turn there, but if you want to jot it down, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, if you want to just jot it down. What makes this interesting, and we're going to get to this in the next few coming weeks, is that Paul actually gives a hierarchy in the church about where the spiritual gifts and the giftings should be placed. Notice what it says. And God has appointed to the church first apostles. Now we talked about them, right? Are they for today or have they passed off the scene? Okay, so notice that. They've passed off the scene. They've served their purpose. We have the New Testament. We no longer need that office. Notice the next one. Second, prophets. Have they passed off the scene? They have. They serve their purpose in being revealers of the Word of God. They've passed off the scene. We don't need it. Third, who? Teachers. Notice that teachers are at the top of the poll. Why is that? Because until we come from a place where the Word is central, actions will never follow correctly. They'll never be done in the spirit. They'll always be done in the flesh because that's how we always think they ought to be done. The Word has got to be central to them. Take your Bible and turn with me to Acts 13, 1. This is an interesting passage because it's descriptive. Remember, the church is relatively new in its infancy, probably, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years years—and it got going. There's a little church up north called Antioch. There happened to be some wonderful people who are part of that church, who are members of that church. Acts 13.1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there. Prophets, and what? Teachers. Now here's what's interesting. Prophets, why? Because dealing in the first century, you need the revelation of the Word of God. So they got people there who are receiving the Word of God and revealing it for people, but then you've got people who are teachers who are reinforcing the Word of God as it's been revealed. Everybody see how those two offices would be very important to have in the mix of a body of the first century. We don't have a completed New Testament, so God is giving new revelation that situation, And that new revelation is being hammered over and over and over again so that the mind can be renewed so we can start thinking according to truth. And here are the people. Barnabas, we like that guy, right? Son of encouragement, that's what his name means, Barney. We like him. How about this? And Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and who? Saul, who later became Paul. So notice you got at least Paul and Barnabas which they're later set on set apart by the Holy Spirit to go on the first evangelistic campaign. Sound like some good people. Sound like a church we'd want to visit. Yes. Prophets and teachers, good stuff. How about the next thing to look at? James 3. For people who want to take up the mantle of teacher, the scriptures actually give us a warning. James chapter 3 to the right quite a ways. It's right after the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become what? Okay, so notice. If you have the burden laid upon your heart that you should be teaching in the church, consider something first. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, talking to saved people, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter what? Judgment, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for what we have done in the body while believers, whether good or evil. Now notice verse two, because it clarifies it for us. For we all stumble in many ways. Everybody trips up, right? Everybody's got issues. Let's not pretend that sin is unique. Let's stop being so unforgiving when people have done messed up things. we we're sinners. We've been trained according to the world for years. Let's be a little bit more compassionate on how we deal with people. Let's encourage them in the walk with Christ for a better way. We all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, meaning the idea of maturity, well-grown. Growing up into being a mature adult is the idea, how how that would be used. Able to bridle the whole body as well. And then he goes on to expound for quite some length about the dangers of the tongue of speech. About what you say and how you address people. So if you're considering being a teacher and that burden be laid upon you, answer what God is impressing upon you to do. Very much so. The body of Christ needs more teachers. Thank you God for teachers in the church. Thank you for everybody involved in children's church and Sunday school who are stepping forward to teach these little ones so that they understand this. Because I tell you what, when you're competing against a godless public school system, they're getting way more hours with them than we are. We need teachers. We need people who will step in and be the difference. For those of you that have been teachers, thank you. Thank you for being teachers. We need that. But in the same respect, recognize we need to know our material. Not just in fact, but in mannerism, in heart, and how we dispense it. Because the tongue can be a very dangerous thing, and it needs to be bridled according to the word of God. How about this? Turn back to the left a little bit. Second Timothy. First, Second Timothy and Titus are helpful books because Paul is trying to encourage young pastors in very difficult situations. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we want to look at verses 1 and 2. There probably wasn't anyone on the face of the earth that Paul trusted more than Timothy. And so to read these words are, are, are a precious opportunity to peer into their relationship. It says in verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. Be gracious. Right? I had somebody come up and talk to me today. He said, you know I saw a church that said, this is private property. You can't turn your car around here. It's not very gracious, is it? We should get a sign out there. Turn it around and park it. Right? (laughs) Stay a while. We'd love to meet you. Come on in. Would you like some coffee? Be strong in grace. Verse 2. Paul says, The things which you've heard from me. and notice. The things which you've heard from me, which implies what? The teachings taking place. We would reference it as sound doctrine. Paul has something to say in order to communicate so that an entire structure of born-again people will operate their lives in a supernatural way. The things that you've heard from Paul, look what he says. In the presence of many witnesses. In other words, you weren't the only person that heard it. It was wide public teaching. Entrust these to who? Faithful men, stop. Entrust it. In other words, Timothy, I dispensed it to you. You now have it. And you now have the responsibility to turn around and dispense it amongst those around you. But you also need to trickle it over and pass it off. Others need to own it. And notice there's a prerequisite. They have to be what? They have to be faithful to it. You ever tried to put teaching and sound doctrine in the hands of an unfaithful person? I've actually heard of some churches that are so desperate to try to reach people and be relevant that they've given teaching positions to unsaved people. How does that work? I don't know for the life of me. But notice the criteria here is, Timothy, be discerning about the flock I've entrusted to you of knowing who's faithful and who's not faithful. And if they're faithful, invest in them with doctrine. And look what it says. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, it doesn't stop with them. Think about this for just a second. If you've ever led a small group or a Sunday school situation and you've learned something, where did it go after you got it? Did it stop with you? Could we go home and see your bookshelf and you've got like every study there ever been that you've been through is just lined up on your shelf? Or is what you learned and experienced about God, did it trickle over into other people to where you wanted to infect them? for the better that's how it's supposed to roll if we've been faithful in having doctrine given to us the goal that continues this faithfulness is to turn around and dispense it to others, learning about God never stops with us it always moves forward into others, that's what teaching is, if we're going to penetrate the heart, we have to roll over the truth and let it do its work, but it's got to get out there is it? Notice here we have a good criteria how to make that happen. How about this, Acts chapter 18. This is an interesting scenario. Acts 18. It's right after one of my favorite sections, Acts 17, where Paul is brought to the Areopagus because he's teaching about Jesus and the resurrection. They said, oh, this is crazy. We want a whole bunch of people to hear it. Remember, he started this as I was walking around. I saw that you are very religious people. You even have an altar to an unknown god. Everybody remember that situation? Very interesting how to handle evangelize to a cult, evangelism to a culture that doesn't know Christ. But in chapter eighteen, verse one, we see some new characters One and two, we see some new characters burst on the scene in Acts. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. Now Pontus was considered uh, north of Galatia, if you're familiar with your geography there, close to the Black Sea. Having recently come from Italy, so he's probably full of pasta, with his wife Priscilla. Making sure you're paying attention. Because Claudius had commanded the Jews to leave Rome. Now, he was in power. You probably don't remember this. We saw this in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, where Claudius was in control. There was famine during that time. If you remember, there was prophecy about that. When we covered it, there'd be a famine that covered the land. In doing that, Claudius had then evicted all the Jews. You're no longer allowed to be in Rome. So everybody's having to scatter. They're dispersed. And you find that you've got two people, Aquila and Priscilla. Jot down to verse 24 here. Let's see what happens with them. We have some things that go on with Paul. To take place. The Jews are in a tizzy all about Paul's message. He's not keeping the law. They start beating people. It's it's a bad situation that goes on. In verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth. Now that means that he was born in the capital of Egypt. He would migrated over here, okay? But notice that he's a Jew. Interesting geographically speaking. He says here, he was an eloquent man. It means that when he spoke, you wanted to listen. Imagine the opposite of me. okay? He was very convincing in his tone. He was very persuasive. And let me say this. There is nothing wrong with being convincing and persuasive when you are seeking to administer doctrine to people. That doesn't make you a charlatan. It doesn't make you a false teacher. He just had a particular gift and a way with words of which he was able to communicate. I wish I had Chuck Swindoll's voice. I don't. But I think you'd like listening to me more if I did. I don't know. Maybe we should just pack it up and go to Chuck Swindoll's church. I'm not sure. Moving on. He was an eloquent man. Be quiet, Jay. (laughs) He came to Ephesus. Okay? So we're familiar with Ephesus a little bit. And he was mighty in the scriptures. He was capable. He had a large capacity for it. Now, Considering where we are in history, when they say he was mighty in the scriptures, what scriptures are we talking about? Old Testament. Notice we're not talking about 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. That's not where we're at in this. He's got a handle on the Old Testament well. He's navigating through it like a master. He's a theological ninja that you want to listen to all the time. Everybody with me? Okay, so you got the imagery in your mind, right? Throwing stars and all? Okay, good. Here he goes. Verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, so he had some previous teaching, and being fervent in spirit. Gosh, we need that. He's excited about it. He's not just there to give you the truth today. Thank you for coming to Grace Bible Church. We're so glad you're here. Make sure you join us for upcoming events. Right? No. What he's got to talk about is truth. Truth is, matters and the truth of god's word touches every area of life so there is nothing that is off bounds and god has something to say if not particular in principle to everything he's jazzed about it so notice he's fervent in spirit he was speaking and teaching accurately he was spot on the things concerning jesus ah our favorite subject right This is pretty good. Old Testament, pulling it out, going for things about Jesus, wonder what in the world he was teaching. I think we can get an idea that was going on, but he's doing it accurately. And notice it says here, being acquainted only, okay, stop, because that's a boundary word, right? He's acquainted only with the baptism of John. Now, John the Baptist, everybody remember that? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. I baptize you with water, but he baptizes you with fire and the Holy Spirit, right? Pretty foundational ministry. Now, what was John's baptism? If you just look contextually, look over at chapter 19. And if you wouldn't mind, don't want to get into it, you can read this later. But look at verse 4, because here's a great thing. The Apostle Paul gives you commentary on what was going on in John the Baptist's ministry. Very helpful to understand what was happening in the Gospels. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So if you're familiar with John the Baptist's ministry, he's out in the wilderness. He's eating locusts and honey, right? Crazy, crazy get up garb and everything, leather belt, the whole deal. Everybody's scared to death of him. He's weird, okay? People are coming out in droves. And he was a real kind guy. He loved to influence people and win friends. You brood of vipers, who told you to come out here? Love it. I don't care what you say. We need more brood of vipers language today because there's lots of them, okay? They're coming out to talk to him, right? And when they come out there, he's actually taking people, putting his hand on their head, dipping them down into the water. And when they pop up, they start confessing all the sins that come to their mind. I've done this, 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 this. Now, I don't care what you say. I think that would be incredibly cathartic for the church. The question is, who's going to go first, right? But when Jay will go first, we're going to be here all day, right? But here's one thing that you know. With all these people coming up out of the water, and notice, because they're confessing their their most innermost sins, because they're clearing the way to believe in the one who's to come, so they're getting junk out of the way. All of a sudden, people start listening going, wow, I got that same issue in my life. I got that same issue in my life. And we start to recognize we're actually more alike because we're struggling with the same sins that everybody else is. You know what that does? It unifies the body because it cultivates a desperate need for a Savior always. That's why the church is not full of perfect people. It's full of people who are messed up and unforgiving and hard-hearted and need the gospel to uncallous our inner being. That's why we're all here. It's because we're all saying by our attendance, I need Christ. So notice, he's teaching this way and he understands everything from Jesus up until that point about the announcement of the kingdom, this baptism of repentance is happening, and there's to believe in one who is to come. That's what he knows. So he's doing all that to perfection. Now moving forward, he says here, let's see here, verse 26, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue now that's the place you want to be when you're talking about the Messiah the people who already have a groundwork of the Old Testament of which he can have back and forth dialogue because he knows his material and they should know their material and hopefully everybody would come to a common consensus about this so he's in the synagogue but when Priscilla and Aquila now remember we saw them before they're Jews coming down from Pontus Hanging out. They end up meeting Paul. They end up making tents together and having a fun business and going to flea markets and all that good stuff, right? They come to Ephesus. They're there. They hear everything that's going on. They're listening to this guy. And notice what happens. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. Notice they didn't do it publicly. They took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. The word explained. They had to expound to him the holes in his belief system. It only went up until the baptism of John. What did this guy miss? Think about the power of things that took place in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ. Priscilla and Aquila get to sit down with this guy who knows his stuff and they get to further the dialogue. They get to further the conversation. They're building off of the foundation that's already been laid and think about the things that they're talking to him about. Justification by faith alone? Man, that's a fascinating doctrine. I love that doctrine. Because what it says is the unrighteous are graciously righteous. Man, that's a good thing. You think that added to his preach? I mean, he was already fervent in spirit. Guys, he was fervent in spirit about the Old Testament. Do you see that? You think he had a come on baby, light my fire right now? Justification by faith alone? Yes! Brand new identity in Christ? Yes. Indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. And probably he's sitting here going, I wonder how I got so on fire. Because it's the Spirit in you. He probably had the Holy Spirit, didn't even know it. Incredible. And so notice what happens because they took the time to explain the way of God to him more accurately. They took time to teach. Look what it says, verse 27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, now that was quite a ways. That was quite a ways. Because if you remember, he's over here in Ephesus. So if you can think about where your map is, up here, Jerusalem, Mediterranean Sea, he's over here in Ephesus, right? You got this long way to go because Achaia is over here where Athens is, where Paul had just come from in chapter 17. Okay? Long way. So when he wanted to go there and start preaching all this new good stuff that he got, the brethren encouraged him Gosh, our teachers need encouragement. Take the time to encourage a teacher. Say thank you for what they're doing. You get the opportunity to go back down through here. There are people who are missing church right now, sitting in the nursery, and they all smell like poo. You know they do, okay? And just, that's, that's the environment that you get in. But you know what? They're serving willingly and taking children so that parents can have an uninterrupted time of learning. To be with brothers and sisters and to be in the Word of God. So hopefully this stuff trickles over into loving and encouraging them. It's a big deal. Thank them for that. Thank them for that. Find a teacher and thank them. It says here, when they wanted to go across to Achaia, brother encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. In other words, think about all the wonderful things he now knew because Priscilla and Aquila took the time to invest in him in teaching and now they set off a vehicle for greater encouragement throughout the body. Guys, somebody led Billy Graham to Christ. Somebody led D.L. Moody to Christ. The only reason why we might know their names is because we have Google. That's it. But those people were so important in what Jesus wanted to do through the church in other avenues. You never know what role you will play in furthering the church. Verse 28, For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, that's right, in public no shame because when you have the truth you don't need to be ashamed in public he demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ now this makes me think about where this hits with us and what's interesting is is knowing that he went to Corinth eventually there's a parallel that takes place here because Apollos' name is mentioned again turn with me real quick over to first Corinthians go past Romans go into first Corinthians go to chapter 3 I'm sorry chapter 2 is it 2 is it 3 3 I'm sorry 3 forgive me Corinth is the fun church right There are some who are spiritual, who are walking by the Spirit, who are in tune with the mind of Christ. There are people around who aren't saved, therefore they don't have the Spirit. And then there are those who are saved who are walking in the flesh, and he calls them carnal. He says, you are babes in Christ. You still need milk and not solid food. And so he's addressing that situation, and he talks about where did this problem come from. And it's very interesting. Verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos. Are you not mere men? In other words, they fell in love with a Bible teacher. And they grabbed onto a personality rather than Christ. That's a huge problem in the church. You don't believe it. Peter Popoff is taking widows' monies every week. I signed up on his mailing list one time. He was sending me little vials of miracle water in plastic. It was strange. He sent me some strange medallion that if I prayed seven times and swung it over my head like rain was supposed to happen, I don't know. Sign up on that. It's a fun time. Anyway. Anyway. That garbage is happening all the time, okay? But here's what happened is they actually created a faction in the body of Christ by striking up denominations amongst themselves. I follow this teacher, I follow this teacher. Well, I've been following such and such as ministry for forever. Well, cool, are they pointing you to Christ or themselves? That's important to know. Verse 5, what then is Apollos? And what then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. Carriers of the message. People who are seeking to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bowing down before Him and saying, God, You've given me truth. I just want to do it right. Don't attach to the personality of the teacher. Fall in love with the one they're teaching about. Through whom you believe. Even even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Now watch this. I planted. I came through first. Apollos what? Watered. How did he water? We just saw that, didn't we? He had a fervency for the word of God. He had an accurate understanding for it and he was dispensing it amongst people and didn't matter if it was public or not. He had to tell the truth. He had to get it out there. So he comes along and he waters the seed that Paul sown. But here's the real point. But God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Thank God for teachers. But teachers are just servants pointing to the Most High God and teaching about Jesus Christ and all that flows out of Him. Now, if you've got those charts or you've been keeping track of what we've been looking at about how these five offices relate to the church today, we have a little running record that we've been keeping on our PowerPoint here. And if you remember, we talked about how apostles and prophets have passed off the scene. Can we go to that, PJ? should just be the next slide right after that. Should be the main issue is what it's called. There we go. Apostles dealt with authority, because you have the Word of God. All these, since they're centered around the Word of God, deal with the authority of the Word of God. That's where the authority is, not in the person and what they're dispensing, the message. But we dealt with the idea of we have a closed canon. When we dealt with prophets, we believe that prophets, if they're sent by God, speak accurately for God, and therefore there's no error. So that deals with the inerrancy issue. Evangelists are the idea of the ability of God's word to bring people from death into life. When they hear the gospel and believe, they are immediately sealed for the day of redemption and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. That's the ability of God's word. When we dealt with the idea of pastors, it's the idea of having the authority of God's word to issue change in the church. In other words, not operating in the same way of your life ever again because you've been further convicted by the word of God that things have got to be different. And so trying to encourage and prescribe that amongst the body so that we go more into the image of Christ. But when you talk about what a teacher is, and there's probably far more teachers than there are pastors in every local church, we're talking about steadfastness. Because there are many people who seek to fall away. There are many people who dabble in the world. There are many people that although they have new life, they still want to have their hand in the old life. They still want to act the old ways. They still want to talk the way that they used to talk. They still want to handle things in an unregenerate manner. And they refuse to surrender to Christ. Jesus is real convenient on Sunday. And yeah, He saved my life, but I'm going to sit here and worry and fret about all the smaller things in my life because I don't think He can handle them. Or at least i got to get my hands on it so I know it's done right. If I don't get my hands in there, it's not going to be done well. Notice that all of that is a self-centered heart. Teaching is meant to penetrate the heart. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. When you see teaching in relation to people, the matter of the heart is always in the wings, every time. So what is the purpose of Sunday school? We have a sign-up sheet. Children's church? We have a sign-up sheet. Getting involved in the prophecy conference next week? You can sign up online for that one. Or you can let us know. We can get you signed up. But this teaching is meant to make us more knowledgeable about everything that springs out of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we will be steadfast until the end. This is a teaching church. I can't tell you how many people either send me emails, texts, phone calls, or talk to me personally that are mind-blown that we spend time in God's Word. That we're actually looking at this passage and this passage and this passage. Guys, you want to do a really great experiment? Go to another church next week. I'm not preaching next week, so you can do that. (laughs) Just kidding. You probably want to be here next week, but the following week I'll be preaching again. Go then. And ask yourself the question, how much of the Word are we getting? How much is Jesus exalted in the midst of people? How much are we dealing with sin and the reality of hell and the lake of fire and the free gift of eternal life? Or have we slapped works on it and therefore we're diminishing the gospel? And now people are thinking they have a grocery list to achieve so that God will love them. I'm telling you guys, it's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. And I can't tell you how overwhelming it is to hear people You guys are about the Word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just right here. It's here. Sunday school, children's church, doesn't matter. The Word of God is central. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank You for Your Word. And most importantly, just to lift up our Sunday school teachers our children's church teachers everyone who gives of themselves to get the word of God into people's lives more to get it before their eyes more Father we live in disturbing times in the church especially of America how Your Word would correct so much wrong. Father, I pray for blessing on our teachers here. I pray Your mercy would be over them. I pray that their spirits would be renewed if they're discouraged. I pray that they would be built up if they feel broken down. I pray, Lord, that Your arms of love would surround them in a very real way. That You would minister compassion to them through the body of Christ. And that we as the body would take the time to say thank you. What you do is important. What you do matters. It matters in eternity. We cannot afford to take that for granted, Lord. Maybe we get so busy we overlook those things. I know that's true in my life. Father, bring it to our minds. May your spirit provoke our hearts. To take the time to appreciate the teaching of your word. We pray that in Jesus' name.